As we start out this morning, uh, forgive me, but I would be remiss if I did not tell you some of the praise reports over the past week. Um, as you can see, there are many surf camp shirts that are here. Uh, surf camp, once again, amazing, amazing success. And if we could, let's give a round of applause for all those servants that came out. They did such an incredible job. They really did. Their selflessness, they, they come forward. They, I mean, you know, staying up late, going to, you know, waking up early and everything, just everything that they do. Um, this was one of the first years also that we had done baptisms. With that, we had, correct me if I'm wrong, 27? 25. 25 out of 43 that were baptized. How amazing is that? That true confession of faith. Yes. So again, so again, God is just moving in mighty ways. And it's a beautiful thing that he allows us to be part of that. Um, you know, this weekend is our independence. We celebrate our independence. And so often, it seems more and more like our holidays just kind of get put, pushed by the wayside. Or the holidays are all about a barbecue or getting together with friends and family. And not that that's a bad thing. Not a bad thing at all. However, when we sit there and we look back and remember what it is that we're really celebrating, these amazing men, these amazing Judeo-Christian men, so many were ministers of our founding fathers that set up this country, that when here it is, when they declared their independence, they went ahead and they said there are certain inalienable rights, rights from our creator, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, all of those things. They understood it. It was plain as day to each and every one of them. And yet, you know, a lot of times you'll see the, the man on the street asking about you know, the, the celebrations and everything. And, and it's sad. It's sad that so many in this country just really don't have a clue. When, when the man on the street goes up and says, hey, we're about to celebrate our independence this weekend. You know, the time when Neil Armstrong first stepped foot on the moon. <laughs> and, and how are you going to celebrate this? And the people were like, oh, we're going to have a barbecue. Yeah, that was really important. That was really important. So as you go out, as you have your barbecue, as you go ahead and watch the fireworks displays, there's going to be a bunch of them. They're going to be amazing. Just hearken back. Take that time to remember how much God has blessed this country. Because, you know, I mean, we had the Orlando attacks. Over this past week, it has just been insane. It has been insane. I mean, uh, just this morning, I wake up and I read about Baghdad and over 91 killed in a couple of car bombs. You know, you had Istanbul and the shooting and the hostage situation and everything over there. And, you know, there are those that would sit here and go, has God come off of the throne? Why does he allow these things to happen? You know, within our own country, all throughout the world. But think about it. What did Istanbul used to be called? Constantinople. We get that from the emperor Constantine, the Christian emperor during those days and yet we go ahead and change it and then it gets attacked you know it, it's not that God has forgotten it's not that God has, has literally taken his hand off of this, this world but you know when we kick him out of our schools when we kick him out of our country out of our courts 
I just think there's a few less watchmen on the wall. And he allows that. So remember that. Remember that. Now today, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're going to wrap up uh, chapter 9. So if you'd open in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, we left off uh, at verse 17. And as we go on, we're going to look at some very interesting things. First off, let me read to you some of the scriptures. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Matthew 17, 20. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, uh, great is your faith. Let it be as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Matthew 15, 28. Assuredly, I say to you, I have found such great faith, not even in Israel. Matthew 8, 10. Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? Matthew 8, 26. Do you see a recurring theme here? It's faith. It's faith. We are going to look at a woman who was hemorrhaging, and it stopped. We're going to look at a daughter risen from the dead, two blind men being healed, a mute who speaks and finishes up. And we're going to finish up with the compassion of Jesus and him letting us know that the harvest is ready. You know, I watched a park ranger one time, and he was telling all these people on what to do if a mountain lion were to attack you. Now, a lot of times, especially in the summer times, right, if we have a drought that's going on and everything, so a lot of the wildlife kind of creeps into a little bit more of the populated areas, and you get those news reports anytime that you watch the news. Yeah, oh, mountain lion here, mountain lion there. So he gave, he gave three things that we needed to go ahead and follow. Uh, the first one, he said, do not just stop and freeze. Okay. Do you think that would work anyway? Like, here it is, you're walking along, there's a mountain lion, you go. <laughs> and the mountain lion's like, wasn't there just a family over there? I could have swore there. It must be gone now. So, so that, was the, that was his first bit of advice. Uh, the second bit of advice, he said, he said you know what? He goes, he goes, appear bigger than you really are. So I figured in that situation, I'd just say, I'm not really a CHP officer. I'm actually the commissioner. Then he said, if you're with children, don't have them run. The mountain lions will think they'll pray and attack them. Parents, would you really do that? <laughs> Kids, go, go. <laughs> oh, they got Johnny. Oh, well. But I, I bring this up because I found this meme, and I think it's appropriate for today. So... For those of you in the back, it says, if you encounter a mountain lion, praise God and approach confidently. <laughs> Sing Psalm 2221. Psalm 2221 says, send me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. So just keep saying that over and over again as you approach him. And lastly, begin to sacrifice any children you have. God will stop you in time. It says, have faith in God. All things are possible to him who believes. Now, just a side note. 
if you look down on the bottom, it says fake posters. Don't do this, people. <laughs> Please, this is not good advice to take if you encounter a mountain lion. But notice, um, ladies and gentlemen, it says faith. But what will work is faith in God. So today's message is just simply that. Have faith in God. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, we thank you so very much that when there is chaos, when there is uncertainty that surrounds us, surrounds this country, surrounds this world, we can put our faith and trust in you. God, you bless us so abundantly. The fact that here it is, we fill our lungs with breath is a miracle, a miracle given by you. And you are such a God of abundance, filling us, filling us, Lord, with such blessings. Lord, maybe sometimes we don't feel that way. Maybe we are, as Christ has said, ye of little faith. Oh, God, as we look at the faith of those that are healed today in your scriptures, in your passages, Lord, I just pray that you would allow us just to take, to glean a little bit from these, place it into our own hearts. God, if there's anything that's of me, it is of man, stay it. Let it fall on deaf ears. But Lord, if it's from you, Lord, I just pray, etch it upon our hearts. God, thank you. Thank you for this day, for this time. In Jesus' precious name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Have faith in God. We start off in verse 18. While he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worship him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hands on her, and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And suddenly a woman who had flowed with blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. Then Jesus came into the ruler's house. He saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing. He said to them, Make room, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. They ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in, took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went out into all the land. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind man came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, let it be so. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, saying, see that no one knows it. But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all the country. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a man, mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke 
And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So we go ahead and we start off in verse 18. And in verse 18, it says, While he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hands on her, she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him. So did his disciples. Now, we start off with this ruler coming to Jesus, worshiping him to receive his daughter, to raise his daughter up from the dead. First, do you think that this ruler might have had some faith in Jesus? Yeah, most definitely. Now, Think about it. If he was a ruler, okay, he would have had wealth. He would have more than likely had very good physicians in order to attend to her. And they would have tried with all of their modern treatments, everything for a time to see if they would be able to save her. No doubt desperate, he hears of the miracle worker in Capernaum. I know I would do anything. I would ask to switch my life for my daughters if any of them were sick and or dying. So he finds Jesus and he says, come and lay your hands on her and she will live. That is having faith in Jesus. But let me pause there just a second and let's go ahead and discuss faith a little bit. You see, what is faith anyway? Well, according to uh, Webster's Dictionary, um, for those of you that uh, don't know, Google gets all their stuff from Webster's. <laughs> he was the original Google. And he said, he said, to trust, to persuade, to draw towards anything, to uh, conciliate, to believe, to obey. Belief, the assent of the mind to the truth of what is declared by another, resting in his authority and veracity, without other evidence, the judgment that what makes, uh, makes another states or testifies to the truth. You see, many would say, show me the proof and I'll believe. And I tell them, I believe and there's your proof. You see, my God created the earth in six days and he rested on the seventh. His proof is all around. All we have to do is look and we see the creator in the creation. Now, I always find it amazing because people will argue with you and they'll say, well, how can you believe in a God that you can't see? 
a God that you can't touch, a God that you can't speak to. You know, I think those people have problems with architects. See, there's a building, right? We can see that. Did the building create itself? No, right? There had to be a creator. There had to be somebody who came up with the plans in order to build it. You wouldn't be walking just in the middle of the woods, find a watch and go, wow, look at this. Look what happened over millions upon millions of years. It just all came together and now I've got this beautiful watch. Would you? No. You can naturally assume and logically assume that if there is a watch, there has to be a watchmaker. You see, the proof that our faith, it's not just a blind faith, but there is evidence. There's evidence all around, all around. And we have to have that faith and believe in our Creator. So, coming back to our scripture, who was this ruler? Well, if we go ahead and if we look in Dr. Luke's gospel, um, we can see that it records there this miracle in much more detail. Um, with that, he tells us that the man's name was Jarius. He was a ruler of, of a synagogue. Now, before the year 586, virtually all the Jews were carried away into captivity, into Babylon. And with that, they were held hostage for 70 years. No longer able to worship at the temple, they established synagogues in every neighborhood with 10 or more, that had 10 or more Jewish men in it. Now, the synagogues became the place of assembly for the Jews where they would worship and study the scriptures. Each synagogue had 10 leaders called elders, and one of those 10 was elected by the other nine in order to be the ruler. The ruler of the synagogue was a man of tremendous importance. Not only was he in charge of the synagogue, but he would also settle civil disputes. Those people would come to them and take, he would take care of those civil disputes within the neighborhood. Synagogue rulers had power, prosperity, influence, and impact. And Jarius was such a man. Yet we see here he was willing to risk it all. Risk it all and come to Jesus because death had crept into his family. Jarius had to find his faith. Now, Luke tells us that Jarius' daughter was 12 years old. For 12 years, his daughter had brought light, laughter into his home until suddenly she was taken with sickness and was at the point of death. You know, much can be learned from people when death enters into their realm. Um, you know, Mahatma Gandhi... Here it was 15 years before his death. He wrote, I must tell you, in all humanity, I find Hinduism, as I know it, entirely satisfies my soul. It fills my whole being, and I find a solace in it that I find nowhere else. That was 15 years. Three weeks before he died, however, this was his last journal entry. It said, my days are numbered. I am not likely to live very much longer, perhaps a year, maybe a little more. For the first time in my 50 years, I find myself in the sloth of the despondent 
and in total des uh, depression. See, when Jarius was face to face with death, he knew what to do. He went to Jesus. He ran the risk of losing all of his position, his wealth, his reputation, in order to save his daughter's life. I would. Wouldn't you? Verse 20. And suddenly, a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. Because this woman was hemorrhaging, you have to understand a bunch of things that she was going through. Um, first off, she would have been unable to go ahead and enter into the temple. She would have been unable to worship. Also, she would have been considered unclean by her community. Notice the parallel here. Here, we've got a 12-year-old little girl. She's full of life, full of laughter, and suddenly she dies. And on the other hand, we have a woman who, here it is, for the same 12 years, her life is filled with darkness, disease, depression. But she was on the verge of being healed. Now, perhaps for the past 12 years, things have gone relatively well for you. Life has been good. God has been gracious. But you don't know what the next hour holds. You can't guarantee that in the next hour, you won't be filled with one of the greatest tragedies you've ever had to deal with in your life. Or like Jarius, you, who perhaps for the past 12 years have been doing so well, might suddenly find yourself face to face with despair. So too, for the past 12 years, if maybe you've been battling with discouragement, maybe you've been dealing with depression or some kind of disease, know this. You don't know what the next moment holds. The Lord can do something suddenly that will blow your mind, that will just totally blow you away and bring an end to your despair. Now, it says, she came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. In Matthew's day, it was believed that the hem held a certain power, that the hem of a garment belonging to a rabbi or a spiritual leader had something very special about it. And this poor woman, she probably didn't have the strength in order to wrestle him in faith or to grab out and hold on to him in belief. Yet she knew if she could just even lightly touch Jesus, she would be healed. Now, I think a lot of times we don't actuate our faith. What do I mean by that? Well, here it is. Sure, we can believe, right? But the scriptures say even the demons believe. 
Do I believe that God can go ahead and take away my disease? Do I believe that he can turn around my finances? Do I believe that he can save my unsaved family? Yeah, I believe in all of those things. And I do. And maybe you even pray over these things. Pray for them. But do we actuate those prayers? And what do I mean? Do we put them into action? Do we incite them? Do we go ahead and incite them to action? You see, I've had a vision outside for an amphitheater for a while now. And with the help of Randy, a chainsaw, and God, you know what? I was able to actuate my prayers. And not only that, slowly but surely, it's coming to fruition. Not only has he been opening up different areas there, but God is also opening up the door for different performers. We have had performers saying, hey, we would love to take part of something up here. We would love to take part of an, ad, an outreach. And, you know, I just got off of the phone with Chris Tomlin the other day. Okay, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> See, now many of you are still awake. <laughs> But seriously, there have been performers that have contacted us now and saying that they totally want to be involved in that, in that outreach conference. Now, perhaps you're saying to yourself, you know, I would love to have Jesus touch me, but I don't feel his touch. Then be like this woman. If you're not feeling his touch upon you, reach out and touch him. Have you made the effort to press through the crowd of unbelief, uh, the crowd of busyness, of entertainment, of activities, the crowd that all stands between you and our Lord. Press on. Press through, I say. I just want to touch the hem of his garment. I know if I can touch him, I'll be helped. And if you just have faith, you will touch him and he will touch you. Now, it's interesting because where was Jesus? Where was he going? Wasn't he just heading off with Jairus a moment ago, right? And now suddenly this woman comes up and he stops and he starts talking to this woman. Now, you know, if I were Jairus, I might have been growing a little bit impatient. I might have been, come on, Lord, my daughter is dying. And you're talking to some lady who touched your garment? Do you ever feel that way? Lord, I see that you're blessing other people. I see that here it is, uh, you are, you are, you're blessing this individual. Great, but Lord, what about me? I know I can get that way sometimes. And I suggest to you that in seeing the healing of this woman, that actually Jarius was being prepared to see the healing of his own daughter so that his faith would be made stronger. You see, whenever and wherever he, God, is working and what he is doing, there lies lessons in that. So I say, keep your eyes wide open. Get your journal out. And start recording the information because Lord knows you may need it shortly. In verse 23, it says, when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players, and the noisy crowd wailing. He said to them, make room, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in 
and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went out into all the land. Now, whenever Jesus wants to work in this situation, there's going to be mockers. And they're going to say, it's not going to happen. What a joke. I can't believe you put your faith in this God, in this Jesus. The Lord's not going to help you. He's not even real to you. He doesn't care anything about you. And these little voices inside of us, these voices of unbelief, these demons, or these well-meaning friends. Remember last week we talked about Job and his friends? Yes, those. Grow up. Don't expect a miracle. The laughter, the scorners, the mockers were moved out before Jesus moved in. And that's important. That's important. We need to cast them aside. We need to push them out so that we can have our prayer time, our prayer time with him, and we can build up our faith. Believe the promises of God. Quote scripture. Rejoice in advance. Anticipate his blessing and have faith. Verse 27. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. Hmm, interesting. They didn't say Jesus. They didn't say, they said Son of David. That was the title used for the Messiah. Interesting, isn't it? In reality, these blind men had better vision than anyone else, for they truly saw Jesus as the Messiah. And verse 28 says, And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. How did the blind men follow him into the house? Did you ever think about that? Hmm? After all, they couldn't see. But I suggest that there is a spiritual principle here. John 1.9 says, Jesus was the true light, which lights every man that comes into the world. Hmm. Hmm. The ministry of the Messiah was to open the eyes, not only for those physically blind, but for the spiritually blind as well. Therefore, the blindest of men can go ahead and follow him because Jesus, the true light, lights every man. He makes himself known to every person. Romans 1 makes it clear that both by instinct and observation, Every man knows there is a God. But what do men do? They suppress the truth, don't they? They go ahead. People don't want to admit there's a creator. And why don't they want to admit there's a creator? Because if there's a creator, then, oh, there's consequences for our actions, aren't there? So instead, what do they do? They conveniently, illogically, and unscientifically bury the truth in, say, the theory of evolution. So that they can say, hey, we're only animals, so let's party. But even the blindest of men at some point will realize the truth in his heart. When he faces Jesus, you see, no man will be able to say, I never knew, I never heard, I had no idea. Remember John 1 says that he is the light. That light lights 
every man. And Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them saying, see that no one knows it. Now, why do you think Jesus said, don't tell anyone? I believe there's a couple of reasons for that. First off, um, here it was, he knew that the tendency for most people is to focus on the message, not the messenger. The one on the gifts, not the giver. And also perhaps Jesus was saying, if you guys aren't careful spreading this news around this region at this time, you could get in a lot of trouble. Remember, we just read a few verses before. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they were all behind him, weren't they? All behind his ministry. Now, what do they say? He's the one who casts out demons because he's the head of all demons. Does that sound like they're behind him? No. Already the conspiracy to take him out is forming. His opposition to him was mounting. Maybe he was even trying to protect these individuals who believed in him. Verse 31. But then they had departed. They spread the news about him in all the country. Do you see your own kids here? I do. Hey, don't touch that. <laughs> right? They go out. But now, honestly, can you blame these individuals? Here it was. They were blind. They were blind. Jesus touches them. He heals them. And now they can see. Can you imagine how amazing, how amazing that would have been? Yeah, I think I would have been in the same boat of them. I would have wanted to tell everyone I could find that I could now see. Verse 32. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a man, mute and demon-possessed. And when that demon was cast out, the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled, saying, it was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the rulers of demons. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease amongst the people. You know, nowadays, people ask, they say, why don't we see these same kind of miracles? Why don't we see the blind's eyes opened? Why don't we see cancer victims healed, paralyzed, walking today, as it happens here in the scripture? Why can't it happen now? You know, I believe that God still heals, but not in the same way. At this point, Jesus was giving the Jews the opportunity to acknowledge him as Messiah. Had they received him, they could have moved right into the kingdom. But they rejected him when they nailed him to the cross. Consequently, do we see miracles today? Yeah. 
but they're not the same ones that were performed physically when he walked the earth. The miracles we read about in the Gospels are sneak previews of coming attractions when he will rule and reign, when all will be right, when everyone will be healed. Amen? But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out the laborers into his harvest. Hmm. Looking at the multitudes, Jesus said to his disciples, pray. The harvest is plenty. He didn't say, it's time for planting. He said, it's ready for picking. And I sense the same is true today. Don't you? The harvest is ready. Don't let Satan whisper in your ear. Your neighbors won't listen. Our relatives won't listen. No, folks, if we just go ahead we have faith in God, the harvest is ready. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Lord, we see, we see it now more than ever, all those that are lost, all of those that need you, that need Jesus in their lives. God, I just pray, I just pray that you would use us, that you would use this church in a mighty way. God, we look to you. Truly, Lord, the harvest is ready. Lord, there are signs all around. As I talked about it earlier, Lord, the evil here in this world. Yes, Satan still has the keys, but you are still on the throne. God, thank you. Thank you. So, Lord, again, I pray, use us. Use us mightily, Lord. Let us do your work. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen.